we get to assemble with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship God in spirit and in truth in spite of the difficulties that are going on in our world at this time. I know you've heard it said and you've said yourselves many times, where there's a will, there is a way. And God would not command us to do anything and then not provide a way for us to do it. So again, God has provided a way for us to assemble together tonight and study another portion of his precious word. I want to continue the series that I have titled, I Did, But You Didn't. I Did, But You Didn't. This is part three. My lesson text is Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25, where the writer of the book of Hebrews writes, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We've already had several points that we have covered. Our first point was looking at the origin of the divided assembly in recent years. Our second point was a closer examination of Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Our third point was simply to study the word ecclesia, the church. Our fourth point was Christians are to assemble on the Lord's Day. And then our fifth and final point is simply, I did, but you did not. What I meant by that title at the very beginning was this. I did worship with you, but you did not know it. That came about because I was watching a virtual worship service. And it dawned on me that I was attempting, well, I really wasn't attempting to worship. I was really trying to observe more than anything else. But had I been trying to worship, I would have been worshiping with someone who did not know that I was worshiping with him. And so I did worship, but you did not even know it. Many churches of Christ have closed the doors of their buildings and the elders have instructed the members to worship virtually. What is virtual worship? That's basically what we're going to talk about in this point. And this is where I was headed all along. To study this subject of virtual worship, it was new to me, and to see if it lines up with God's word uh, with verses like Hebrews 10, 25 and others that we have noticed. So what is virtual worship? I looked up the word virtual, and in the Oxford Dictionary, it said almost or nearly as described, but not completely or according to strict definition. Cambridge Dictionary said almost a particular thing or quality. Cambridge also said, and I believe this would be the more appropriate meaning for the subject virtual worship, something that is virtual can be done or seen using a computer and therefore without going anywhere or seeing anyone. I think that would be the better definition for our study tonight. The word worship 
In Strong's Dictionary, Strong's defines it this way, meaning to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand or crouch, prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to, adore. So my question is this, is virtual worship actually worship? Well, my smart answer would be virtually. But the real answer that I would give seriously is, it is online worship. It is worship. Can't deny the fact that it's worship, because it is. Can it be a good thing? After all of my studies, I must say, yes, it can be a good thing. It can be a good thing for those who are unable to assemble with the saints when they assemble together. Those people that are unable to be here, they should be able to either worship in their homes privately, or perhaps if they have a computer, they can look on their computers and uh, they can see this virtual worship. Uh, a good thing, I believe, is for some congregations to record their entire assembly, their entire worship service, and put it on computers for people that are shut in so that they can be in the privacy of their homes, which they would have no control, bound there, and they could also get something of a religious nature to help them through the day. Many good lessons are taught virtually. There's much learning that's done that way. But our point tonight is to see if it lines up with the scripture to assemble together on the first day of the week. You know, it's also is a good thing if we, and we do have uh, some assemblies that the whole worship service has been placed online. That's a good way for people that have never come in contact with the church of Jesus Christ to notice that and perhaps be introduced to the church of Christ that way. But that's something totally different than what we're talking about for us today. Some members, over the course of the last few weeks, as I've been talking to several, not of this congregation, but of other congregations, have made comments about virtual worship like this. One said to me, oh, it's cool. Another said, my family has been strengthened by it. Another said, I enjoy listening to other preachers. One said, it's convenient. And the one that probably disturbed me the most was this one. We are assembling together. That was the most disturbing one, and that was probably the main reason for my serious Bible study on this matter. It's amazing that just the other day as I was listening to the news and I was listening to our president speak and he was talking about uh, Easter Sunday and that he would be worshiping virtually or online with a particular preacher that he named. But he made this statement, I don't know if he really understood what he was saying or not, but talking about virtual worship service, he said, on, at that time, he said, it will never be church. It will never be church. Well, when you think about the definition of church, he was exactly right whether he meant to be or not. Now, so there are some things that are good about it. There's a right way to use it, but, but are there some things that are wrong with virtual worship service? 
on the first day of the week in the place of assembling together in person like we have today? Well, I've got a few questions. First of all, how would we answer this question? How can members that do not have computers worship online? So when you go to online worship, we've got a problem. Some people don't, don't have computers. Some people don't want to have computers. And so there's a problem. How would they worship? Second question. Do virtual worship services obey the prohibition to not forsake the assembling of the saints on the first day of the week according to Hebrews 10, verse 25? Third question. Do virtual worship services divide the assembly? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, we noticed this morning where Paul said, if therefore the whole church has come together in one place. There's a time that the church has been commanded to come together in one place, and that's not talking about doing it virtually. Another question to, to ponder. How are elders going to watch for the souls of the members during virtual worship services? You remember in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer said uh, to Christians, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable unto you. How in the world can elders oversee the flock and what they're doing through this virtual worship service? Also in Acts 24, verse 28, Paul said to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, Take heed, therefore, unto thyself, elders, and to all the flock, that's the congregation, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you notice, overseers, to feed the church of God which he's purchased with his own blood. There are some congregations that, where the elders have their own uh, minister doing virtual worship with them online, and so they have some idea what's being fed to the flock. But in other cases, members just have to tune in wherever they can find a preacher, and it may not be one that they ought to be listening to. And if that be the case, the elders don't know it because you cannot oversee the, what the, the members are listening to and what they are doing through virtual worship services. Number five. How can member, how are members going to follow the examples of their elders during virtual worship services? If, you're, if our elders were worshiping virtually tonight, we wouldn't know what they were doing. We wouldn't know what time. We wouldn't know what they were listening to, uh, how the, you know, who they were tuned in with. There's so much that we wouldn't know. So the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now notice this part. Whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation. How can I follow one's faith if I don't even know where he is or what he is doing? Number six. How are the members going to speak, teach, and admonish one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs during virtual worship services. 
as I mentioned, in, uh, I have watched several of these virtual worship services, and had I been intending to worship with those folks, I would have been singing to a computer. Now, how in the world can I sing to a computer and speak, teach, or admonish the person that I'm looking at that's on the computer? Or others in other places that are also worshiping virtually. You see, you cannot obey the commands that are given by God that are to be fulfilled as the church of Christ assembles together in one place. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, speaking to yourselves. The word you, yourselves there is a reflexive uh, pronoun and it's used as a reciprocal pronoun which means we are to reciprocate. In other words, while I'm singing to you, you're singing to me. While I'm speaking to you through song, you're speaking to me through song. You cannot do that virtually as a congregation. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians chapter 13, I mean chapter 3 verse 16, Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, notice this, and admonishing one another, same kind of pronoun, one another. It's used as a reciprocal pronoun, and it means we are to reciprocate. And so while I'm teaching you and admonishing you through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, you are returning the same to me at the same time. If I can't hear you, you cannot obey that command. If you're in another place, and I'm in one place, and others are in other places, we're actually singing to a computer and not to a person. And so we cannot fulfill the obligations of that command. Number seven, how are members going to show that means to preach, teach, or proclaim the Lord's death till he comes during virtual worship services? In the services that I have watched, I have noticed that they have had a great deal of difficulty when it comes to the Lord's Supper and doing it virtually. But the Bible does teach us to do that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, when Paul's talking to the church at Corinth about partaking of the Lord's Supper. And you remember he said in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Well, if I'm doing it by myself, who am I proclaiming it to? Who am I showing it to? Who am I teaching about the death of Jesus Christ? When I observe each of you partaking of the Lord's Supper, you are preaching a message to me about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That won't work so good virtually. You can't, I can't teach you if you are on the other side of the computer and don't know that I'm even there. I could worship with you virtually and you not even know I was worshiping with you. That's a problem. Number eight, how are members going to give their offerings on the first day of the week? during virtual worship services. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know what's happening because of virtual worship services? A lot of churches are not able to pay their bills because many of the members are worshiping virtually and not giving their money to the Lord's church. Big problem. That's why you're going to hear a cry from leaders of churches, send your money in. Please send your money in. We've got bills to pay. But you have a problem there. Number nine, how 
Can members provoke one another unto love and good works during virtual worship services? Isn't that what Hebrews 10 verse 24 says? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. How can I provoke you unto love and good works through a computer when you don't even know I'm tuned in or I don't know you're tuned in? Number 10, how are sinners going to respond to the gospel during virtual worship services? I've noticed on these, uh, during these services that some do not even offer, they don't even extend the invitation. What are you going to say to someone? Now at this time, if you have a need, if you, if you want to respond to the gospel, will you please come forward? What do you do? Well, you have to give them a phone number. You have to tell them where they can find you because otherwise you're not assembling. They don't know where you are. They don't know how to find you. And so you have to work around that difficulty. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So I guess what our preachers could start doing virtually is like the denominational world's been doing for years. Just say, if you will bow with me at this time and pray this prayer and ask the Lord to come into your heart, you will be saved. Did we do something like that? No, of course not. Number 11. How are sinners going to be baptized during virtual worship services? What if someone wanted to obey the gospel? How are they going to do that? They can't just walk down the aisle or walk up to someone and say, I need to be baptized for the remission of my sins. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 47 and 48, when Peter was at the house of Cornelius, he said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. That was very strong language. He commanded them to be baptized, not to put it off, not to tarry. When someone realizes that he has sinned against God, he's living in sin, he learns the gospel, he wants to be saved, he needs to be baptized then and not have it put off. Number 12, how can Christians confess their public sins to the church during virtual worship services. How are you going to do that? You going to talk to the computer? You can't. It won't work. You see, I finally stopped with number 12 because I just got tired of just going on and on and on and on. There are so many things that cannot be accomplished through virtual worship service when you put it in the place of assembling together and having public worship service as we've been commanded. So now, I want to show you some things that I see as I have spent countless hours just pouring over this subject because from the very beginning, I could see division taking place in the Lord's church. It seems as though every so many years, something comes along and tries to rip the church of Christ apart. Our brothers and sisters will be debating. They'll be accusing each other of one thing and then another, hopefully not here at Fairhope, but that's what will happen in the brotherhood. And it will cause great division uh, in the Lord's church, and Satan will be having himself a heyday. He'll love it. That's why I told uh, each of us last week that the real test of our faith here at Fairhope is that we work and do everything we can to hold this congregation together as we are led by our elders 
that we will stay together, be one, be united. And when all this blows over, we'll still be standing strong and in the will of God and able to go forward with the Lord's work. This virus is very, very dangerous. The recent update that I saw just this afternoon was about 41 plus thousand people have died from this virus in the United States alone. Also note this, that in this country as well as in other countries, people are going back and they're starting to take some of those numbers off the list because they're saying, well, they did not really die of coronavirus, it was something else. And so, so you can't really go a whole lot by the numbers. They're up and down, they're just, they're all over the place. But nonetheless, this is a very serious virus. It is very contagious, and we ought not take it lightly. But you can disagree with some of these points if you want to, where it's my opinion. That's okay. You're perfectly all right to do that. You can make your opinions known to me if you choose, or you can keep them to yourself. But this is something that I see as I want to warn you as a congregation. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, and the extreme treatment encouraged by the coronavirus task force and the CDC that was implemented by our government authorities is causing a tremendous divide among our nation's leaders. You watch the news, you'll see. They're just back and forth. You didn't do this, you did this. You should have done that, but you didn't do that. It's your fault, it's your fault, this and that blaming each other. It is an absolute mess. And it's going to only get worse from here as they blame one another. Their actions combined with the media's hype and fear-mongering has called fear that has led to a panic. This fear-motivated panic has led many elderships and church leaders, where they don't have elders, to lock the doors of church buildings and to instruct the members to worship privately. Whether just their families worship together or worship through virtual worship uh, on the computer. The fear that I'm talking about is fear of contracting coronavirus. It's the fear of giving coronavirus to another. It's the fear of breaking the civil laws and thereby being fined $500 or more and possibly being cast into jail. The fear of causing negative publicity to come upon the church. And for many preachers, it is the fear of being fired. You might be surprised how many of our, who have been known as sound gospel preachers, are now risking and twisting scriptures to try to justify staying home or worshiping virtually instead of assembling together as God has commanded. You might be amazed, and you will hear more and more of it as days go on, I'm sure. And so fear is behind a lot of what we're seeing today. When you look at the stats, it's a sad thing how many people have lost their lives to this, to this virus. But when you look at the percentage and you compare, as we did a few weeks ago, we have had other pandemics that have taken far more lives than this one, although I understand this is not over yet, but it is getting better in many of the hot spots. 
just as this fear induced panic is causing tremendous divide among our nation's leaders it is also causing a great divide among members of the church of christ that's what concerns me the most that's what hurts me the most the issue and hear this carefully this is where this is where the division takes place. This is where you need to understand exactly what God says and what the issue really is. That's why I spent all the time that I have even going in the Greek, which I normally don't do, as you know, but to show you exactly what God has commanded. The issue is not about worship. The people that are staying at home, the people that are worshiping, uh, through virtual means, they're worshiping. It's, the issue is not worship. Or whether or not a member can worship in private or online. But rather it is. Can churches of Christ obey the command of God to assemble without publicly coming together in one place? That's where the issue is. That's where the understanding must be. Let me read it to you again. Can churches of Christ obey the command of God to assemble without physically coming together in one place? If you want to study this matter, you study that right there. And you reach God's conclusion on the matter. God's answer to that is, as we, I believe, have pointed out with God's word, no. I have studied virtual or online worship, have watched several of these virtual services. I have studied what non-Christian religious leaders have done and said. I have listened to preachers of the Lord's church trying to defend the use of virtual worship instead of public worship during this time of present distress, and this is what I see. If virtual worship services meet the demands of God to assemble upon the first day of the week, then it is not necessary for the church to ever assemble again in person. If virtual worship services meet the demands of God to assemble on the first day of the week, elderships and church leaders could come together, they could hire one to three dynamic preachers and fire all the rest. They could hire the best song leader. They can then gather together a chorus of great singers. They could select one new church building and sell all the rest, and then you'd have no problem with upkeep. Have all the members buy their own grape juice and their own unleavened bread. And then everyone assemble on our computers. If not, why not? If you follow it to its end conclusion, if it meets the demands of God to assemble together on the first day of the week, why wouldn't we do something like that? Virtual worship services, I fear, if allowed, and people are allowed to believe that that is actually assembling on the first day of the week, 
Virtual worship services will make the pulpit a stage. The services a production. The congregation an audience, an online church, and the audience participation will simply be observation. My friends, if this is allowed to go on, and if it were practiced by all, it would destroy the Lord's church. Congregations will become fans drawn to their celebrity preachers like flies are drawn to honey, or bugs are drawn to a nightlife. If God is pleased with all the churches of Christ in the United States not having public assemblies at this time, then there are a lot of members that have been chastised for not assembling that are owed apologies. We have been living in a world of conveniences. So why should anyone go through the trouble of getting up getting bathed, getting dressed, getting in your vehicle, driving for miles upon miles, assembling with a congregation in a, a certain uh, place when all you have to do is wake up, fire up your computer, and worship as you are. As I was watching one of these virtual worship services and listening to the preacher preach, which, by the way, virtual worshiping of that nature just actually, all it does is elevates the preacher. That's what it does. Because you know where you're going to worship? You're going to worship where your favorite preacher is. And whoever that is, that's where you're going. It elevates the preacher. It downplays the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other things. But I did hear a preacher make this statement. It may be accurate. I know very little about computers, as you know. But he made this statement. Near the end of a virtual worship service, he said, Before we dismiss, and I thought, Wait a minute, you're not with anyone. Who are you talking to? Before we dismiss, we're not gathered together. How are we going to dismiss? You see, in a little while, we'll have a closing prayer. And we will dismiss. And we'll all go on our own separate ways. I thought that was strange. I am afraid that virtual worship will produce virtual Christians. But God has always wanted real, genuine Christians. Brothers and sisters, we have assembled together today in one place to worship God in a parking lot. It matters not if we're in a parking lot or in a cow pasture somewhere or under a bunch of oak trees as long as we assemble together in one place to worship God according to the way he has commanded we are pleasing in God's sight. I thank my God and your God that through this whole ordeal, not one time have we not been able to assemble together as the body of Christ and worship God in spirit and in truth. I feel for my brothers and sisters, where the doors have been closed, where there's been no other options given 
where no one took the time to think it out and realize that God's commanded us all to assemble on the first day of the week. That's not an option. If you're healthy and you're well and you're able and you're capable, that's not an option. Our brothers and sisters need to realize there are other options. There are other ways besides meeting in a church building that we can come together and gather together in person and worship God in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, today, I want you to know, as Brother Wayne has already pointed out, I think it's uh, important that we continue to put this into our minds and to the minds of our children. Our young children need to know this. Today, we have assembled together in one place. It's not as we usually do, but we have still obeyed the commands of God. We have obeyed God's law. We have obeyed man's law. And we are safe in our cars from this deadly virus. We need to encourage other congregations to adopt the same practice during this time of distress. They need to be told that yes, you can still worship outside of the building and in the parking lot and obey every single word that God has commanded in this Bible without any compromise. Well, that's been my study on virtual worship. I hope that you will study for yourselves. I'm warning you ahead of time. This is causing a great divide in the Lord's church. And as you listen to preachers in the future stand up on their, in their, uh, their computers and however they, they reach out to others, I want you to listen carefully as they try to find scripture that will justify not coming together on the first day of the week as we have done today. And I will tell you before you ever hear them speak, every single one of them will either take verses out of context or they'll take verses in their context and they'll misapply them. You know why I know that? Because truth is always consistent. There are no contradictions in the word of God. And the way that you are going to be like the Bereans, you're going to search the things that you hear daily to see for yourselves whether they are so or not. You've been taught for years how to study the Bible for yourselves. Just because somebody says something that sounds good, just because it's some big dog in the brotherhood, someone that everybody knows who's been elevated above all the rest, does not mean that he's always right. Just because he tells things that sound good to your ears does not mean that he's right. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, preach the word, nothing else. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. That means you preach the word when they like it and when they don't like it. You still preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. A lot of people don't like that part, do they? They like to be encouraged, but sometimes you, get, you have to be talked to a little more uh, firmly and, and things that, that rebuke you. That's part of preaching the word. The word rebukes all of us. It shows no favoritism. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. For the time will come. You've been hearing this for years. 
The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Brothers and sisters, that's what's happening with this very subject. Preachers throughout our land are now telling members of the Church of Christ that it's okay not to assemble. Don't be deceived. Study your Bibles. Use your brains. Use what you've learned over the years. Check it out. Be sure that when this is said and all said and done, that you're still standing on God's side. Don't take chances with your soul. If you're here tonight, you never obeyed the gospel. One thing you can rest assured in is this. The gospel plan of salvation will never change. Men change. Their ideas change. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is his gospel. It will never change. What one had to do in the first century... What one had to do on the day of Pentecost in order to have his sins forgiven is the same thing that we must do today. And it is not pray the sinner's prayer. It is not have water sprinkled on your head. It is not have water poured on you. The Bible still says the very same thing. On the day of Pentecost, when those people were pricked in their hearts, they realized that they had sinned. They cried out to Peter the rest of the apostles and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you follow through the New Testament, you'll see that over and over again, the same plan for everyone. You've got to hear the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. You must repent of uh, all your sins, Acts 17, 30 and 31. You must confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8, verse 37. And you must be baptized in order to be saved, Mark 16 and verse 16. 1 Peter 3, 21. And then you must be faithful unto death, Revelation 2, 10. If you're here this evening... And we can assist you in any way. There's one chair here. I can put another out. I'll keep them six feet apart. But if there's anyone here that wants to obey the gospel tonight, if there's anyone here that needs to respond, won't you come? Us together, we stand and sing.